This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of our Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme. This is the full Monty, the entire show recorded live. We need your support. Text the code STORYPOD to 44321. This summer, we are following the yellow brick road with tales told live, without notes or inhibitions, in the walled yard of the old Idaho Penitentiary. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. We're discovering big, hairy stories with our theme, Lions, Tigers, and Bears, oh my, from our guest host, Haley Lenhart weiss and our featured storytellers, Sophie Hughes, Matteo Martinez, and Ben Clegg, intermixed with a community story slam, recorded during Pride Month. There's no place like late night. There's no place like late night. All right, well, let's get this thing started. Let's, uh, let's hear it for your musical guest, Louis C. Louis C. Thank you so much. We'll hear more from, from Louis C. and Co. Uh, at the intermission. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for your sweet tunes. Um, thanks so much for being here. For those of you who forgot your sunglasses, I'm sorry. Uh, we should probably put that in the email next time. Um, my name is Beth Norton, and I am, uh, I'm going to introduce the structure of the show and your host for the evening. Um, how it's going to work tonight is we have three featured storytellers on the theme of lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my! Yeah, oh, I like that. Let's do that one more time. Lions, tigers, and bears. Ooh! <laughs> um, and uh, amazing, uh, some amazing featured storytellers. They have been crafting these for weeks now and are prepared to deliver. Uh, we also have a whole host of Story Slam spots. So if you have a five minute story on the theme, you can come and put your name in, the, in our, little, um, our little Wizard of Oz basket over there. Um, and we will be pulling at random throughout the night for those. Um, so we'll have our uh, two featured storytellers and a slammer before the intermission. And we'll have a brief intermission where you can head on over to our Woodland Empire um, beer booth around the corner. Let's give them a big round of applause. We're sitting over there. Cynthia, Megan, thank you for being here. Um, without further delay, oh, and then, sorry, then after intermission, uh, we will have one more featured storyteller and a whole bunch of story slammers, all right? Um, all right, all right. Any questions? Just kidding. Um, okay. All right. Um, I'm, I feel so excited to introduce your host for the evening. Um, she's a good friend, and I have just a quick little big hairy anecdote about um, her. Um, this may, uh, myself and another friend put on a big comedy competition, and. Um, called Idaho's Best Comedian Competition, and kind of right in the middle of all the planning of it, we, we recognized that we really needed some help, and so um, we brought your host uh, tonight on, and, uh, and uh, I, it fits with the theme, because our theme was a, was a Sasquatch who's big and hairy, you know? Um, but your host tonight, uh, she came on board, and she just provided like so much wisdom, and uh, so much like grounding and support for that, and I'm just eternally grateful for her. Um, and I, I'm so excited to see what, what she brings. She is the producer of uh, and, and a creator of Blue City Comedy. She hosts uh, comedy shows and burlesque, um, and she's fabulous. Such a treat to have her here tonight. Please welcome Haley Lenhart Weiss. <laughs> Beth Norton, everybody, keep it going for her. Our wonderful director this season, and we couldn't be here without you. Oh, it's so good to see you all. I'm uh, usually behind 
I'm the one with the lights on me <laughs> doing comedy and I can't see you. So this is a change of pace. This feels karma. Is it, is that it feels a little bit karmatic. It's good. Um, I'm actually very excited to be here uh, telling jokes in a female prison. Uh, <laughs> I really feel like that's where I was going to end up anyways. I just got there quicker than I thought I was going to be. So it's good. Uh, the foothills has always been like a beautiful place where um, I've gone and I don't know, you guys know the summer concert series here and you're, you're too poor so you don't buy a ticket so you sit up on the hillside. <laughs> That's usually where I am. Um, and I, I love it so I actually saw Bob Dylan with my sister many, many years ago. And she loved Bob Dylan and I was like, who? <laughs> um, still not much has changed. Uh, but we were listening to him and I couldn't understand a word he was singing. Not, not a single word. And she was like, And I was like, okay. Um, sometimes I feel like she just wanted to like things that were cool. And I was like, but have you heard of Netflix? Uh, <laughs> no, my sister's uh, an interesting person. I've learned a lot from her. Um, on the story of the theme of follow the yellow brick road, um, my sister was the yellow brick road and I followed her till the end of it. You know what I mean? So uh, it's very exciting. It started off as a young child. Um, she had the upstairs bedroom and I had the downstairs bedroom and I wanted to hang out with her all the time but she was doing important things so she wouldn't let me help or hang out unless I was helping her so uh, one time she was doing this art project in her room and she would call up to me and she's like Haley Haley and then so I was like yeah yeah I need the tape and I was like okay and so I run downstairs because what the tape is in the kitchen um, in our special drawer so I ran down there and I got the tape ran back up and I was like here you go <laughs> and she's like thanks I need the scissors um, turns out the scissors are in the same drawer downstairs in the kitchen but I ran there and I got it and I didn't run with scissors okay I'm smart enough to not run with scissors but I went upstairs and I handed them to her and I was like, here you go. And she's like, thanks, I need the ruler. And guess where that ruler was? <laughs> uh, I did that 45 more times and um, never really caught on. I wasn't the brightest. Um, I kind of relate to the scarecrow. If only I had a brain. Um, wouldn't have fallen for so many things. Uh, fast forward a couple years, I was in second grade and my sister taught me about humor. Uh, we got this fake plastic puke from a joke store and she was like, I'm gonna take it and play pranks on my teachers. So she did on April Fool's Day. It was a freaking hit. She was awesome. They talked about her. I was like, that's awesome. I wanna do it. Um, so when she finally got it back, it was like April 3rd. And so I was like, April 4th, that's pretty much the same, right? put that fake puke on my teacher's desk, and man, <laughs> did not go over well. Um, so she taught me about timing, and that was always fun, which I've used today, so that's good. <laughs> um, she also taught me, uh, she, she taught me how to not be so gullible. Um, one time, like a very nice day like this, um, we were out having a family dinner. Um, uh, my grandpa was making paella. Do you guys know what paella is? Very cultured folks. Uh, usually I say it in a dive bar and they're like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, we were eating paella and there's all these beautiful shells and stuff. So I got all these shells out of my food because I'm an artist and I play with my food sometimes. It's fine. Um, and I built this beautiful shell structure and I put it on the table and I was like, look, family, be proud of me. <laughs> 
And they were, I think. Um, it was fine, but I was very happy about it. And I uh, went to go leave to go watch a movie with my friend. At, it was a scary movie. It was late night, and we were driving to the movie theater. And I was pulling over to pick up my friend, and I got a phone call. And so I answered it, and I was like, hello? And it was my sister on the other side. And she was like, oh my god, Haley, Haley, Snickers, my dog at the time, Snickers ate the shells, he ate the shells. And I was like, what? Is he okay? No, he's not okay, he's puking up blood. He's puking up blood, oh my god, I saw him in blood. And she hung up with the phone, I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? So I call back, I call back and I'm like, it's ringing, and it's ringing, and I'm shaking, and I'm shaking. And she answers and she's like, the blood! And she hangs up again and I was like, and I call back and it's ringing and it's ringing and it's ringing and then finally my mom answers and she's like hello mom yes how's Snickers he's fine are you not downstairs Marissa is choking up blood no he's 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 right here he's fine my sister made me think I killed my dog. <laughs> ah. Ah. I don't know if I learned how to not be gullible or how to close my heart a little more. Um, it was interesting though. I, I did learn after that fact, I was like, oh, she will stomp on me until I make sure she doesn't anymore. So uh, for Valentine's Day, she was very much in love with this guy who was in her French class and she loved him so much so that I was like, hey, <laughs> I know how to wreck you. Um, <laughs> and this, this boy that she liked actually like left for Valentine's Day and she was heartbroken because she's like, it's French class and we were gonna have French class and Valentine's Day together and it's gonna be beautiful. Um, it never got to that point, but I was very excited that he was gone. So I did this thing where I, I Google translated a love letter into French. <laughs> It was very bad, she knows French better than I did, but she's like, I don't know what he's trying to say with the moon here, but it's very romantic. Um, and I bought her a whole big thing of Gary Deli chocolates and I said that he dropped them off for her the night before. And so she was just so happy all of Valentine's morning and she was like driving me to school, just like freaking static. And I was like, ooh, that was a joke. <laughs> I didn't let her go to school, thank God, because I think she would have killed me. Um, but I did break her heart a little bit, and I feel kind of bad about that. Um, but I was like, hey, I might be the scarecrow, but I had a brain all along, and I got you. <laughs> uh, I love my sister, and I am so grateful that she taught me how to use my brain. And uh, that's my big little hairy story. So thank you, everybody. I am very excited to bring up our first feature storyteller of the evening. Uh, like my sister, she has taught me a lot of things, not about dead dogs, but about comedy, which is pretty much dead dogs. Um, <laughs> they stink and you're like, oh, what do I do with it? It's so cute, but uh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm very excited to bring her up. She is the lion portion of our lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, oh my, we'll get it. Have a couple more drinks at the Woodland Tent. but. Very excited to bring up the lion of this evening. We're very excited to hear her roar, make a lot of noise for Sophie Hughes. One more time for Haley, everybody. Let her hear it. <laughs> Hello, I'm, uh, I'm so glad to be here at Story Story Late Night. 
Um, talk a little bit about dating. Uh, and dating is, uh, dating's hard, we all know that. Uh, for a trans person, dating is also really hard. I'm not gonna say it's harder as a trans person than it is for everybody else. Um, it is, but I'm not gonna say that. Cause I'm classy. <laughs> but I, I have a hard time dating. And, and, and uh, you know, one thing that my parents taught me is that it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there. And it also takes a lot of courage to take yourself back. Um, I find when I'm in a relationship, I'm convinced that this is the last person who will ever love me. So I have to, I have to put up with so much shit, and I will. And I want to talk about a specific guy uh, who in this, we're going to call him Cody, because that's his name. Uh, <laughs> so it seemed to fit. Um, <laughs> Cody and I met, like a lot of people these days, we met online on a dating app, we went to a brewery, we shared a Bavarian pretzel, that was it. It was perfectly fine. It was a perfectly fine date. The next day, we've been texting. We're excited to see each other again, but I have no plans to see him until he shows up at my work unannounced. And he's brought his sisters, his adult sisters, and his mother. And he says, this is my girlfriend, Sophie. We shared one pretzel. That seems presumptuous. But it also became really apparent, as I'm meeting his parent, that he did not tell them they were about to meet a trans person. So I gotta watch that happen live on their face. Just, hi, nice to meet you. Just that little, that, that moment. And I, I was really upset, because it really put me on the spot. And then I have to, I, and I'm, I work, and they just hung out. I have to be there around them forever. I'm forced to, because I need to pay my rent. It was rough. And I thought I wouldn't, I thought I wouldn't see him again. We had plans maybe to go see a movie, and I was like, I don't think I'm gonna call him again. That was a, that was a red flag. But then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, Sophie. He's so proud of you that he brought his family to meet you. And the fact that you're trans is such an irrelevant issue, he didn't even feel the need to tell them. He's not weird, he's a hero. He's the best man there ever was. So you better not let him get away. So, so we end up going out again. Now, um, we made a plan, and the way this date's gonna break down is we're gonna meet up downtown. I'm not giving him my address. This is the guy who just showed up to my work. <laughs> we're gonna meet downtown, and we're gonna go for a walk, and we're gonna go to a restaurant, and then, question mark. I like to leave it open-ended, <laughs> you know? I could go home, or I could be like, hey. So, he shows up. And uh, he'd been texting me that day saying questions like, you know, what's your favorite flower? And I was like, I don't like flowers. I like succulents. Well, when he shows up, he's brought what can only be described as a bouquet of succulents, which is four potted plants. <laughs> that he's carrying with both arms, hand and arm, just here you go. 
and he hands me these, I mean, they're, each one is like a soccer ball size, and he just hands them to me for our walking date, and we're off. So I've got them, and there we go. <laughs> we go, we're walking downtown, everyone's staring at me. They already stare at me a lot, <laughs> but now I've got a garden. So we go to a restaurant, a little Mexican restaurant downtown. It's very busy on a Friday night. I walk in, the hostess is like, why? <laughs> we, they, put us, they put us at the tiniest table. There's, rooms, there's room for like each plant and my hands. <laughs> they, you can't put the chips on the table. So I've got them like tucked under the table, bus boys are tripping on them, and shit. they're just like, I don't know what to do with them. I've got them the whole time. And he's just sitting there, happy as can be, does not recognize a problem. He's just happy, he's like a Labrador. He's just happy to be here. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> so we have dinner, it's weird. We leave, and as I'm, got all my plants and we're going to the door. There's a new hostess, different from the one who sat us. And she sees me with these plants and she says, you can't take those. <laughs> because the restaurant is full of plants just like it. So she thinks I'm stealing their plants. And he's like, oh no, I bought those. I have receipts. And so he pulls out his wallet and he's got receipts for everything. But he pulls out the receipts and, and then the hostess, this 16 year old girl's looking at him like she fucking knows. So like, Utah lower basin purple. <laughs> so we're going through this whole thing and I'm just, I'm, I'm humiliated. I'm waiting there until somebody sitting by a customer just looks up and goes, yeah, she came in with those. <laughs> she got the pronouns right. That was good. <laughs> so we're leaving. And um, in my mind, the date is over. I feel really embarrassed. I feel like this whole thing's been super awkward. I'm uncomfortable. I just want to go home with all my succulents and water them once a month for the rest of my life. That's what I want. So we're walking, just walking downtown, and I'm carrying all the succulents, and he's following me, and he goes, hey, Sophie, would it be okay if I held your hand? How the fuck's he gonna do that? So I'm trying to have a good nature about it. So when I go, I, I look at him and I look at the, my arms and I go, I guess you could hold my elbow. And he takes me seriously. So he does. He just holds on to my elbow. And I lead him through downtown. Like I'm a scout helping an old lady cross the street. <laughs> like he's my prison bitch. He's just... Right, take my fucking elbow. <laughs> we get to my apartment and I go, oh gosh, I live here. I'm gonna go in. 
And he's got this little hopeful like, oh? <laughs> and I'm like, good night. And then he's sad. He could see it. He's, he's disappointed. Because I think he thought it was going really well. And then I felt bad. And then I got back to that thing where I was like, maybe this is the only person who will ever give you succulents. <laughs> you don't know. So I think I'm, I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. Let's keep hope alive, but also I really want to get it away from you. And I, and I make it obvious. Like, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't vague. I went around. You know what I mean? <laughs> there was no subtlety to it. So I'm going to his cheek very clearly, and he tries to move in to catch it. As if that's ever worked for anyone. Who has ever been like, I don't want to put my lips on your lips because I don't like you very much. But then they accidentally make contact and you're like, I love you. <laughs> Has anyone ever stolen a kiss to success? I don't think so. <laughs> kiss to success, TM, Sophie Hughes, don't steal that. That's my romantic comedy name. <laughs> it's going to be great. So he tries to move in and I try to avoid. And what ends up happening is we both wear glasses and we smash our glasses together. And I went, we clinked glasses. <laughs> Cheers. And then I ran. <laughs> and I thought, I'm never going to see this guy again. The more I went on with that, the more I was like, I don't think I have. There was, beyond just it being uncomfortable, there wasn't a lot of chemistry. He wasn't the worst, but he wasn't the best. He didn't do anything wrong, but he really didn't do anything right. And then COVID happened and everyone was locked in. And I used to work at a comedy club and that closed. And I wasn't seeing anybody. I was alone all the time. And then he started texting, you know, just fishing. <laughs> What's up? Nothing. <laughs> and that goes on for a while. And eventually we start to date again. Now, in COVID times, there's no one else to be embarrassed around. So it worked out. I just watched him play Elden Ring all day and we ordered Grubhub. It was great. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> we got to this point where we're dating a little while now and um, we're gonna move to the next level, which is sex, late night. <laughs> Get ready for that. <laughs> So he's been, he's been very unsubtly hinting that he would like a blowjob. And by unsubtly hinting, I mean I would be like, what do you want to do for dinner? And he'd be like, I'd like a blowjob. <laughs> I was going to get pizza, but... <laughs> so, so I decide I'm going to do it, damn it. He's been nice enough. <laughs> Good enough. Not good enough for me to shave for, but good enough for me to go down on. I'm just saying. You gotta really bring the A game for that. I am lazy. So, so he's playing Elden Ring. I put my hair up, I sneak around, and I'm like, I got a little lip balm on. We're gonna have a whole oral sex is gonna happen. <laughs> And then, and then it does, <laughs> you know, you've seen movies <laughs> or had oral sex. I don't know. 
So I'm, I'm doing it, and he's like sprawled out starfish on the couch, making no noise or movement at all. Just nothing. And I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I know how to toot a horn. <laughs> Look, I've had zero complaints. I have very rounded teeth. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> File them down, Doc. I gotta, I'm lonely. Um, don't improvise? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, do, I'm pulling out all the tricks. Hot air, cold air. I'm getting under the weird little spot. I'm doing all of it. And it's just nothing, no movement. And I keep like looking up. And then I go back to work. And then I look back. And then I go back to work. And eventually I just stop and I go, Are you okay? And he goes, I'm fine. So I try to go back to it after that. But I'm pissed. And oh, you're fine. <laughs> he's fine. Okay, he's fine. Yeah, sure, he's fine. You're fine. So I go back and I'm, and I'm working, but now I'm like angry blowjob, which is, probably feels great. But it's still nothing from him. So I look up and I just shout, you wanna pitch in here, pal? And the dynamic changed. I yelled at him and his erection is gone. You know, because I turned into my dad. I'm pretty sure that's what my dad used to say to me. You wanna pitch in here, pal? Where'd that come from? So, so I try, but it's over at this point. And I get up and I sit on the couch and I'm all frustrated being quiet. And he's all being quiet. He knows he did wrong, but he doesn't know what, like a Labrador. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> and eventually he goes, are you okay? And I went, I'm fine. And he was like, that's what people say when they're not okay. And I was like, I know. I gotcha. <laughs> that's what you did. <laughs> and then we have a reasonable adult conversation where I'm like, look, you got to pitch in. You got to be part of it. This is the first time we've ever done anything sexual and you're just like, like I'm not your sex slave or something. Touch my hair, tell me I'm great. Moan, I don't know, <laughs> be alive. And he goes, yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense. And we're sitting there quietly. And after a few minutes he goes, listen, I'm really sorry that you couldn't make me come. I love hearing a bunch of people moan at that. Because <laughs> it's very validating. Because I was just like, what did you just say? <laughs> what do you think happened here? I'm sorry you couldn't make me come. Because I know how hungry you were. What do you, what do you think's going on? Is that my reward? No. Oh boy. <laughs> a lot of it really upset me. And we got in a big fight. And that's when I went, you know what? I think I have the courage to leave this relationship. 
because I think I would rather, <laughs> thank you. I think I would rather never make anyone come again than to ever try on you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm so confused. Sophie, thank you for coming. We really appreciate being here. Oh my, oh my, oh my. <laughs> you wash it all, eat it. Am I right, guys? Um, hey, that's just, that's what I say. I'm pansexual. It's okay. It's cool. Happy Pride Month, everybody. We're so happy to be telling stories that are super gay. Uh, <laughs> We love it. Are we ready for our first slammer of the evening? Hey! Can I get that lovely uh, bucket or basket over here? We're, I'm very excited to pull. Um, if you do want to sign up for the slam, we are going to have an intermission, so feel free to go over there, sign up. It's a good time. You know you got big, hairy stories. We want to hear them. If they're gay, that's just extra. Um, get it? Uh. All right. I would do a drum roll, but there's grass underneath you. So. Um, that being said, if I do bring you up, um, you've got about five to six minutes. Um, I'm going to be sitting in that lovely chair, and when I stand up, it means you got like you got a minute left. Wrap it up, and then when I start edging closer with my dimples, you're like, <laughs> time to wrap it up for real. Okay? Uh, it's my very nice way of getting people off stage. It works. It's just it does. Um, all right. Uh, I'm very excited to bring up your first slammer of the evening. Uh, there was only two slammer buckets in there, so uh, we want to see more people in there, okay, next time. Uh, very excited to bring her up. She actually brought me up earlier. I don't know if you... <laughs> uh, very excited to bring her up. Let's get ready for a big, hairy story from the one, the only, Beth Norton, everybody. I just put my name in the bucket in case no one else did, but and I got a story, big hairy story. Um, I'm glad I'm following Sophie because my story also has to do with courage. I One of the things I love to do is to go backpacking, and um, there was a time in my life when I never, I didn't feel like I could ever fully be comfortable be myself around other people. Um, there was just too much there and so I, I really only felt like I could be myself when I was by myself and specifically when I was in nature and so I, I did a couple I've done three solo backpacking trips just short trips not long trips it's terrifying um, to I have a lot of uh, women who ask me uh, about solo backpacking who are interested and scared for good reason um, it or maybe not for good reason I don't know fears fears kind of um, a weird thing. Um, I have been on, on every one of my backpacking trips, just experienced this kind of low level hum of fear. I think as any woman does when you're alone in a situation where you could be attacked at any time, right? <laughs> um, and my first, uh, my first solo backpacking trip was on a little stretch of the AT in Maine. I just did a few days there and it's a well-traveled trail um, and I had a great experience all went well. Um, my second solo backpacking trip was on the Long Trail in Vermont, um, which I had been planning for a little while. Uh, I did a three-night trip, um, and the first day 
Um, everything went great. It was it was difficult, but wonderful and beautiful. And when you're backpacking by yourself, um, you know, if you have anything on your mind, you'll just hear it and you'll hear it and you'll hear it. You'll just hear your same story, your same thoughts kind of over and over and over until, you know, eventually you get bored of it or it gets worked out or something and it kind of releases. And that's what happened to me on the first day. The second day, um, I decided to get creative and I went off trail um, and went down to this, you know, the long trail in, in Idaho or in um, Vermont, I don't know if anybody's ever been there, but it's one of the oldest uh, established through hiking trails. Um, and the trails out there are, they're just, they're old and they're gnarly. They're made out of these like big stones and it's kind of like a full body workout to get yourself um, through these trails. You gotta kind of pull yourself up over these big, these big rocks and up these ladders and things. And actually the um, Appalachian mountain range is one of the oldest ranges on our, on our, in our planet. You would think it would be like the Himalayas because they're so tall, but actually what happens with mountains when they get old, just like people, they start to shrink. Um, so the Appalachia is like one of the oldest ranges. Um, I, I got off trail and I ended up in like this gully and I had to kind of dig my way out and it was a unnecessary, unnecessarily harrowing day. I tore my boots to shred, the, the soles were flapping. Um, yeah, I had to tie them on with paracord and like duct tape them and I felt felt like a real badass um, and kind of summited the, the biggest peak in Vermont, which is Mount Mansfield, looks like the face of a man um, and felt very proud. Another great thing about the Long Trail, one of the reasons why I felt comfortable soloing there as well as on the AT is because they're really established campsites. Like I said, it's old. It's not like Idaho where you can just kind of go off and camp in the grass or wherever it's wide open spaces. It's not like that. So they have sort of these lean-tos that are set up and they have shelters. Um, so my second night I stayed at a shelter called Taft Shelter, just on the other side of the nose. And um, they even have people that are staying there. And so, you know, as a single woman, you can feel really safe um, to, you know, sleep in a place where there's other people around. Um, and so I did that and uh, had a fine night and I woke up in the morning, did my morning stuff and, um, you know, there's a big, big hustle and bustle of all the other people there. Getting, there's, I think there was like a youth group there, and um... <laughs> hello, Alaska Airlines. Um, I think there was a youth group there. You know, there's a whole bunch. The shelter probably sleeps like 20 or 25 people, and those people kind of throughout the morning had left, and I was the last one there, and I had had my backpack all, all packed up. And um, decided to just to just take a moment to go back down the little trail to the water source that was there, um, just to like have a moment and um, you know prepare myself for the next day of hiking. And so I'm bending down uh, next to this really beautiful clear stream, and just kind of looking at the water and like splashing my face and um, you know putting some water on the back of my neck because it was already hot and uh, you know really kind of like washing my hands and. Um, Kind of just getting lost in the, you know, in the, in the nature of things, and when I, when I stood up, I looked up, and the first thing I saw was the eye of a bear, <laughs> right in front of me. I'm gonna say it was from me to you, but we all know I'm making that up. Um, 
in the moment, it felt like it was from me to this microphone. Um, but I, I, I looked that bear in the eye, and the first thought I had was, um, how did I not notice you before? And I, I swear, and I'm probably projecting here, but I swear the bear thought the same thing about me. Like, how did I not know that you were right here? And, um, and I just felt a sense of astonishment, not fear. And then I saw on the other side of the bear was her cub. And that's when I got scared and um, pretended like I had friends back at the shelter. I was like, hey guys, look like it's time to go. Uh, also pretended I had a watch and like looked down at it. Uh, remembered my training, I didn't run. I just like walked really quickly while talking to my friends back at the shelter um, and like, like walking back and the bear like couldn't care less. It didn't do anything. It clearly, it was like, this bitch is not a threat. Um, <laughs> But I was terrified. I threw my backpack on. I didn't even do the straps. My shoes weren't even really tied. The soles were flapping, and I ran. I ran, 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 ran. I ran as fast as I could down that trail until I thought, okay, I'm really going to hurt myself if I don't stop. Um, so I stopped, and I tied my shoes, and that is my big hairy story. Thank you. Keep it going for Beth, everybody. Oh. Beth, what was that mountain called? Man, man's, like, Mansfield? And it looked like a face? You conquered a man's face? Is that what? Late night? It's not dark yet, but I'm gonna say naughty things. Um, very exciting. I like that's, uh, when you see a big animal like that, you're supposed to get really big, right? Like the cougars, you're like, Ugh. That's how you're supposed to talk to men, too. You're like, hey, don't underestimate me. <laughs> it's very fun. Uh, so, hey, give it a round for our first slammer. We love that. Make sure you guys are going to go put your names in the bucket, the baskets. Uh, we're going to bring up your next, your feature, uh, your second feature storyteller of the evening. Uh, very excited to hear his story. He's going to talk about how life is a jungle, even in modern day. Um, very excited to bring up the tiger of the evening. Make a lot of noise for Matteo Martinez. I uh, sneaked back into my childhood bedroom after having destroyed leftovers in my parents' fridge. We were living with them at the time, me and my husband, and uh, saving up for a house. And as I looked down on the bed where he was sleeping, you know, I, I, I thought like, wow, uh, there was a time when I couldn't be more excited about having a boy in my bed. And I used to pray for it and wish for it and hope for it. And there he was. And then I thought, I should have been more specific about the timing. <laughs> That's when I heard the sound that I was very used to hearing all day. I heard the sound that the latch on my trunk makes when it's triggered. And I thought, hmm. Then I heard the noise, the, the wheezing of the hydraulic arms as the little glass door opened up into place. And I thought, wait. I snuck over to the window and I looked down into the driveway and there was somebody dressed in all black going through the contents of my trunk of my car 
with a flashlight on his cell phone. And I couldn't make out if this person was a he or she. Uh, it looked like a cat burglar, but whether it was a cat man or a cat woman, who was to say? At some point, I must have made a little bit of a noise or something because all of a sudden he looked up and made eye contact with me and I with him and he took off running. I don't understand what happened inside of me, but I was instantly in a blind rage and I ran out of my room, down the stairs, threw open the front door of my childhood home and ran out after this guy. I was halfway down my street when I realized a couple of things. One, uh, thank heavens for trunk underwear, very supportive. Uh, also, if you're going to be caught by your neighbors in nothing but your underwear, the trunks are a very flattering look, gentlemen. I stepped on a piece of glass and I had to slow, but just long enough to take it out. And I thought, wow, um, I guess it's true what they say, that when you're hopped up on adrenaline, you can do something like that and not feel it. On we go. The next thing I thought was, okay, wait, 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 wait. What are we doing? What are you doing? Are you really doing this? And this voice inside me who had grabbed the wheel of my psyche was like, yes. Um, that is not a sound I'm used to hearing from me. And it scared me. It sounded hard and angry and determined. Um, I kept running down the street and I saw that the thief had gone up the next block, which was a cul-de-sac. Thank you, the suburbs. Um, my prey was trapped. I start kind of slowing down and I look up the street and I don't see him. And I yelled out, this is a dead end. <laughs> like it was a metaphor. I was like really seizing this moment. I was so angry. We had crapped out on our business we had gone to Europe, where my husband is from. He's from Germany, born and raised, and it didn't work out there for us. We had come back to start all over again. We had nothing, living with my mom and dad. And I don't know, I just, in that moment, just couldn't bear that somebody was taking what little we had out of this car. And I wanted a fight. I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 1975. And when I started going to school in the 80s, uh, all the way through the 90s, that was some really tricky time in history to be gay, especially a gay kid, because nobody told me what the situation was. I got beat up at school so boys could prove their masculinity to other boys. I got beat up at home so my dad could make me a man. Um, there was a lot of violence in my life, which is super weird because uh, I, I, I'm not really a violent person, but after being exposed to so much of it, 
sometimes it feels like the only thing to get the rage out is to either hit or be hit. I walked up the street and from behind a big SUV, the assailant came out with his hands in the air. And as soon as we saw each other, all of the air went out of the situation. I was still spiking from the adrenaline and I was still nervous and upset and rageful and angry. But as I took in who this guy was, things just started to fall apart for me in that moment. He was maybe 17 or 18, kind of heavy set, very soft skin, baby face. He was Latino. He had on a backpack, which I was really hoping was a tiger, um, but it wasn't. It was, a, it was in the shape of a plush kitty cat's head. And I thought to myself, oh heavens no, he's gay. I wanted to be angry, but a parental instinct kicked in. I could tell that like where he was in his journey was calling me out in a way to take care of him. I was identifying with him. The truth is for him, maybe he had never placed any value on his life and the people in his community that were responsible for making sure that there was value there also did not place value on his life. And so he didn't place any value on the things that he was stealing away from the people whose cars he had broken into that night. I said, hand me the bag. And he gave it to me. And he said, I didn't steal anything from you. I didn't want to know any more about him. I said, you got to get out of here and you got to never come back. And he looked at me. Now, he didn't look at me. He looked at my trunk underwear. Because <laughs> even in that moment, men. And he took off running. So I started walking back. And as I came up the street, I saw my Japanese couture raincoat sprawled out. And um, I thought, okay, well, it's there. Thank heavens he didn't get that. I love that coat. I think he thought that if he ditched it, the psychopath who was chasing him would stop. But he did not know who he was messing with. <laughs> and neither did I. I got back home and all the lights were on and my parents were downstairs and my husband had come down and they were just looking at me like, what on earth? And all of a sudden I felt this horrible pain in my foot and my mom just screamed. My Latina mom was like, what happened? What are you doing? I was like, oh mom, I suddenly tried to break into the car, call the cops. About 30 minutes later, the sheriff showed up and he asked me to describe the assailant. And I said, well, he had gorgeous skin. I mean, flawless, which is crazy because a criminal lifestyle, you would think that would cause a lot of stress hormones and then blemishes for days, but he's got nothing. That's gonna be very pickable out in a lineup of perps. 
but he didn't write it down. He said, I'd like to know his height and weight and, and race. And I said, oh, five, seven and a half, 172 pounds, four ounces. I've been breaking guys down for decades at this point. I mean, um, <laughs> and then I mentioned the thing about the skin again and he closed his pad and he didn't write it down and he said, thank you. My husband took me upstairs and he was helping me with my foot and he said, this was a very stupid thing that you did, Matthew. Ridiculous. This is not wunderbar, this is horrid. I promised him I would never do that again. And I also told him that I knew I had to take care of whatever that was inside me because he might get us into some real trouble at a certain point. And I definitely had to get some more trunk underwear. Matteo Martinez, everybody. I think he earned his stripes for bravery, I think so. All right, real quick, how much do I look like Dorothy? Good, because I am looking for my dog. Anyone seen my dog? <laughs> Toto, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Snickers. Uh, all right, guys, are we ready for uh, our next slammer, eh? I think so, it's gonna be good. Um, if you still want, there's still time to come up here and do that, so if you change your mind, it's still available. So, uh, and also, if you want to become one of our featured performers, uh, please email story at storystorynight.org. Um, and then you can get to submit to be one of our featured storytellers. So, without further ado, I'm very excited to bring up your next slammer. And just a reminder, you get five to six minutes. I'll be sitting over there. When you have one minute left, I'll stand up and then uh, I'll inch closer to you. Because <laughs> you like that. Um, Cool. Can I get Sky to the stage, please? Sky. Boo-boo. Oh, there we go. Keep it going for Sky, everybody. Well, it's 2009, and I just graduated with my undergrad in Spanish and realized I didn't want to teach or translate. So I found a job at a call center, and this call center, the company, had recently expanded into Puerto Rico. And you may be familiar with them. They're a Mormon pyramid scheme that sells candles. And, and I got a great job there, working on the Spanish line. A few months into the job, I was invited down to Puerto Rico for a convention for the consultants and for everyone to drink the Kool-Aid. Well. Myself being the lowest man on the totem pole, I asked my supervisor at the call center, and I said, I was like, hey, Samantha, is it all right for me to head down to Puerto Rico? And she was very rigid, very astute in her business acumen, and she said, we're busy, but you can go. I was like, all right, sweet. <laughs> and I head down there with the VP of the company, who happens to be the brother of the owner. He speaks some Spanish, we go down and crush it three days in Puerto Rico. Have a ball, I'm the muscle, move the boxes, so forth. And the last evening, 
I was like, all right, well, I'm having dinner with the VP celebrating. Everything went really smooth. It was just fun. So I had called up Samantha earlier in the day. I was like, hey, Samantha, I got an idea. How about I change my flight, stick around Puerto Rico for another five days with the weekend in there, and I'll be back. And she said, absolutely not. We're busy. Come home. And I was like, okay. And that evening with the VP, I was like, hey, so I was thinking everything went well, and I was looking up this hostel and looking at flights and thinking about sticking around five days. And he said, a hostel? I would love to drop you off. He's like, yeah, let's do it. What's, what are your plans? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, that's perfect. And sure enough, I was like, well, I'll just deal with it later, I guess. <laughs> and he does. He drops me off at the hostels, great guy. And I'm there and hanging out. And sure enough, these two Danish divers show up, Anders and Huyen. And they're up for an adventure, and I was like, hey guys, I speak Spanish. Let's rent a car and just wander the island for a few days. Totally up for it. Now, in getting to know these two fellas, they had just come from the Bahamas, where they were diving for sharks. And they had pictures and videos of themselves right there within you know, a few meters of the guide who had taken a shark, say about 15 feet, had rubbed its nose and turned it into a tonic immobility state and had the shark at a 90 and holding it. And I'm like, these guys are wild, <laughs> yeah? Well, and in talking to the hostel owner, we're like, well, what should we get up to? And he said, well, you ought to hit up the bioluminescent bays. And there's some where you're in kayaks and very eco-friendly and so forth and, you know, hats off to them. But he said, you should head down to my buddy Juan, and he's got a boat, he's got beer, and he'll let you just jump on in and have a good time. I was like, oh yeah, I'm with two divers. So that's what we do. We head down to the south of the island, meet up with Juan, we have some beers, and he takes us out about an hour on a moonless night, and it's so dark, and we're all having fun. And he says, all right, here's the equipment. There's the water. You have an hour. I'm going to blink these light three, three times, and you have 10 minutes, and then we're leaving. I'm like, oh, kind of put a damper on the mood there. It's it got a little heavy. And I'm looking at the divers and the other folks, and no one's doing anything. It's like, what? Oh, like, this, we're here. So I just grabbed the snorkel and the mask, and jumped. And midair, where my feet are off the boat, I've yet to hit this black surface. And I said, I don't know how deep this is. I have no idea. And I hit it. When I came back up, thankfully, I'm in the middle of a bay. So plenty of space for animals underneath you. <laughs> <laughs> and we got kind of used to it. And I have to say, once you and I bring yourself out of the fear and kind of be in that moment. I was swimming, and I am a bit furry. So with this fur, every single hair was agitating the water to where there was a mixed neon pixie dust rolling across each one of my arms. And that is wild, and I only had alcohol in me. So if, like, this is nuts. Now, sure enough, the light blinks, 
And I scrambled back. I was like, I'm not joking around. Let's get on this boat. And the divers and so forth, and uh, no pictures came out, which is even better that way. The following night, it's our last night there. We're taking it chill because we had a wild time when the car, we even hit up the radio telescope that had collapsed a couple years ago. And I said, well, let's keep it easy. Let's grab some beers and get a pizza. I said, sure. Order the pizza, got a car, not too far. We're driving, scoop the pizza, and I'm with Huin. And we're driving along. He's got a couple pizzas on his lap. And it just feels a little different. Like the roads are like slightly less busy. It doesn't feel. And we both look at each other. And I'm driving the wrong way on a one-way in the bus lane. It's a different color. I am way off. And we both look at each other like, this is not good. And for good or for bad, there are two cops that light us up immediately. And so they come up, and the traffic had just barely got to the next light, so all of it stopped. I'm with Huin, the wrong way on the wrong uh, road, two cops. He's got pies in his hand, and he goes, oh no, we're in trouble. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, yeah, man. I was like, here's the thing. I don't speak any Spanish, okay? Like, that's how we're going to work this. And he's like, okay. He goes, well, I don't speak Spanish. I was like, I got that. <laughs> got to pay attention, man. Uh, and the officer that approached is one of the biggest human beings I've seen in person. He was up and down and always massive. It's like, this is interesting. So he comes up, and I roll down the window. And as polite as can be, I was like, officer, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm on the wrong side of the road. And you know, he's like, papeles. And I'm like, so um, I don't know papel, but um, is that the road we're on? And he goes, no, no, no. And he walked around the car. The other guy walked around the car. It, thankfully, the car smelled like pizza, because it didn't smell like pizza a couple days ago. <laughs> and, um, and so after they were done, and I got up and did a bit of a sobriety test, and everything went by, and these poor people that are stopped, they continued to stop, and they go, all right, well, just go ahead and do a loop. So they had to move their cars back so that I could do a U-turn to further inconvenience these people. Um, but with it, I make it back to Boise. And I've had these stories, I've had these adventures. And I get back and sure enough, Samantha's there waiting for me, right by my desk when I get there. She's like, Skylar, you just go ahead and step over here. It's like, okay, let's go by the, go in this office that's in a you know, chic little space with glass. And she rips me apart up and down, left and right, just tells me how inaquatic I am. And so she finally says, hey, do you have anything to say for yourself? I said, well, Samantha, I'm really sorry that you're mad about this. <laughs> it's just, I mean, let that sit for a second. <laughs> just let that, think that, like, let that sit for just a second. And, and, uh, and so with that, in as hairy as it was, I kept my job at least for another six months. So thank you. <laughs> Keep it going for Sky, everybody. <laughs>
Man, you can get yourself into some big hairy stories with that. Like, uh, I only learned a few things in Spanish, and it was, um, un burro sabe más que tú. And <laughs> none of you know Spanish. Um, cool, 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 cool. It means a donkey knows more than you, and you really shouldn't say that to anybody who speaks Spanish. So, it's <laughs> good stuff. Um, I honestly felt like Sky's stories were a little uh, deep and scaly rather than big and hairy, but that's, uh, that's just to me. Next time, buddy. Um, just kidding. All right. Are you ready for your third and final featured performer this evening? Yeah. We got the bear coming to the stage. And it's not just any bear. This is a big, dancing, beautiful party bear. And we're very excited to have him make a lot of noise for Ben Clegg. Hi, everyone. I feel like we're in group therapy, so I'm going to... Hello, my name is Ben. Thank you, good job. And I am a bear. Hello again, Beth. It's been a while since that stream. No, okay, so in this last bit of interactive, raise of hands, who knows what a bear is as it relates to gay men? We got a few people, okay. You may have heard of bears, otters, twinks, cubs. We have a lot of gay nomenclature. So basically what a bear is, a bear is, well, generally, a, a larger fellow, hairy, you can kind of point out there, a body that says, I'll go to the gym tomorrow. <laughs> and how we get assigned these groups is when we come out, we're actually taken across the river into this big castle and they put a sorting, the gay elders put a sorting hat on her head and bear, twink. That's how you know if you can eat the next day or not. I got to eat the next day. No. So, tum, 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 I'm fat. Um, so, no. so I came out in my mid-twenties and came out on the cusp of, do I start shaving my body or not? I did for a little bit and then I just, ugh, the hair grew. Um, around that same time, I met my husband um, at BYU-Idaho. We keep, we tell people we met in a class. No, that's not how we met. <laughs> nope. Uh, anyways, but my husband, who is also a bear, and it, it just really clicked. It was, we're like, okay, we can support ourselves in our bareness. Um, five years into uh, our relationship, uh, we had our commitment ceremony. Uh, marriage was not legal in Idaho until two months later. <laughs> but we got it. Oh, no, no, wrong, wrong date. Anyways, no, so five years in, we're like, okay, commitment ceremony, this is going well. And we're like, you know, what could really help our relationship now? Let's open it up. <laughs> I heard some collective like, ah. Now for, uh, for us, what we were saying with opening our relationship is that we're like, okay, there are sexual experiences that we would like to experience outside of just us. And that is all we're going to say with our open relationship. We're not going to put rules here. We're not going to do here. We're just going to say, okay, open communication and open up our relationship. We're a couple of bears and we're open. It's a novel idea. So the gay elders come back to us and they tell us, because you're bears and you're in an open relationship, you must go to bear camp. Everybody's like, what is bear camp? 
You know Band Camp from that one movie, that one time at Band Camp? Just think it's the same thing. No flutes. Anyways, so they're like, you must go to Bear Camp. And so we were talking with some friends online and saying, okay, Bear Camp, what, what is this? And they're like, well, we, there's this one that's held in eastern Idaho. It's kind of a smallish affair, probably about 50 to 60 guys, usually. And we're like, oh, this, this sounds fun. And it was... Uh, um, open. No, so it, uh, it, it was promoted as a very a sex positive environment. So they're like, you don't, it's, it's, it's there if you want to participate, you don't have to, but there's a lot of fun stuff. We were given an agenda and they're like, these are your meals, very important to bears. They're like, these are when we'll feed you. And we're like, fantastic. Uh, we were young, we were poor, but we paid out the $100 a piece and went to bear camp because there were meals. We're like, this is planning, this is food budgeting. We'll just, we're good with this. So we go to Eastern Idaho, we, we drive, we take, uh, we drive down this little road and we're like, oh, okay, where is this? And it opens onto this expanse and bear camp is being held in a llama field. This, the person hosting it actually raises llamas and like lets people, not lets them, he charges them to take them on little hikes through the mountains and whatnot. But during bear camp, he has moved the llamas into another field and he's opened up this, which is actually found out later, is really for the llamas' safety. <laughs> After I saw bear camp, very much for the llamas' safety. It was, moves them into another field. And what we have in front of us is just, we've got a little creek or a crick, uh, running. And with a little pool in the back, there's a fence in front of it. And in front of that, he said, okay, you can set up your tents all the way over here. Set them all along, fantastic. Over here, if you brought a motor home, fantastic. You can set up here. We were asked before we came on this, uh, we filled out the little forms and whatnot, and they asked us if we needed electricity to our tent for our CPAP machines. <laughs> Really gives you the, the demographics of who's going. Anyways, there's a lot of electrical cords. You had to be very careful. Anyways, so we see this expanse. We're, we're, we are early gays. It's not, doesn't happen very often, but we show up to things early. And so we're like, there's a lot of space here. We don't need a cord. We didn't bring our CPAP machines. So we're going to set up right in the middle of this. Bold choice. We ended up being by a really, a bunch of lovely men, all came from Colorado, set up on one side. And then on the other side of us was a group we would come to know as the Dementors. <laughs> they just hovered around, picking people off, sucking their souls. Take that for whatever it's worth. Anyways, so we, we camp in the middle, we're like, this is fantastic. We, we're getting the lay of the land, they're introducing us, saying, okay, this is over here. And then they show us what's the camp. And we're like, okay, this cool little swimming pond, fantastic. On either end of the camp are these little white tents. I'm like, what are these white tents? Are they showers? Are they? No, the white tents are the sling tents. If you don't know what a sling is, it's like a swing. You sit in it, lay back, and someone come in, comes in and pushes you with their hips. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, yes. 
on either end, these little white tents were like sling tents. Bears, this is what happens. Um, and then in the middle was this really big white tent. And we're like, what is in this big white tent? These are so, what? That was the snack tent. <laughs> Bears. So we get the lay of the land, we check in, we get our little badges that allows us to eat. That's gonna come up a lot. It just, it's very important. So it allows us to eat. We, we say hi to people, we check our agendas. We're like, okay, next up is, it's gonna be game night. Fantastic. And it, I think it was actually bingo. And so we go back and we change our shirts, which all bears are required at some time to have a bear insignia on their shirt, on their body somewhere. It's just a law, the gay elders. Anyways, so we get our tent, we change, and we come out, and it is dusk. And the one rule of bear camp that we were told about, all the, the frisky business, is that you can't do it until it's dark, so the neighboring farms don't see. <laughs> Anyways, we come out, and it's a game of Twister. Naked Twister. In front of our tent. In fact, I think it, it, was, it, it wasn't just, it was like a combination of, of Twister and, and Jenga and, and, and Tetris and Bop It. Um, so, so we're trying to get our way out to play bingo and it's left hand green, right hand taint. <laughs> make our way over the bodies. Bears. Anyways. So we go, we play bingo, and it was drag bingo, which was a really lovely time. Very, very different from the Jenga twister bop it that was happening in front of our tent. But really, that was kind of the, that was bear camp. Three days of bear camp, three days of this, three days of open booze, of open relationships. Um, but of just uh, this experience that we hadn't experienced before, saying, oh, this is, this is new, this is exciting, really nice people, not the Dementors. <laughs> but a really lovely time, and walked away from it going, okay, is this what we are? This is bears? This is what we do? Okay. But it was, it really stopped thinking, and it was a really, like, relationship-defining Experiences say come out and say, we came out of that great. We came out of it with a, a stronger knowledge of who we were and how we worked with other people within this open relationship that we had decided to have. Saying, okay, our communication, we could keep that even with the Jenga and the, the Bapa and the booze. <sighs> a lot of booze. Which, by the way, when you're camping, first day, yes for Naked Twister. Second day, you're just doing bop it. Third day, nothing should happen now that you have not showered. That's another thing we learned at bear camp. But anyways, so we, we drive away and we drive back up the hill after bear camp. We've packed up all our stuff and just take a look back and go, that was really cool. I've got a lot of really great memories, made a lot of, met a lot of people from all over. Uh, we had people from Colorado, we had people from Eastern US, uh, a lot of people from Utah and Idaho, a lot of bears. But, and we went back. 
the next year. We found another one called the Cub Campout. We went to that. There's ones all over the U.S. There's Lazy Bear with thousands and thousands of bears. You can go down to uh, uh, Beef Tip down in Mexico. I know. You guys, we are not that creative with our naming. Lazy Bear Beef Tip Bear Camp. We're lazy. We didn't go to the gym. We don't have that energy. So, anyways. So, when you see a guy next time and he's got a, a bear insignia, he's a little hairy, a little... Just wink, because you know what he's been up to. So. Ben Clegg the Bear, everybody! <laughs> I totally understand why my mom didn't let me go to camp now. I was, I was like, mom, barely anyone gets pregnant in camp. Um, especially if you go the right one. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, that was our final uh, feature performer this evening. So if you want to be one next time, please uh, type up and write up to story at story story night.org um, get on this list we've got a whole wizard of awe themed things uh, oh my it's gonna be good stuff i'm very excited now we're gonna go into more of our slammers oh wonderful i, I was gonna call you my bitch but that felt mean <laughs> but it is late night so you're just my cub now i'm kidding I'm I apologize. Also, if you are a slammer and you've done slams, uh, please walk over to the uh, the booth over here and sign a release waiver. We're gonna put this on the internet for the podcast. You can listen to all these fun stories and we're very excited about that. So, uh, without further ado, can I welcome Sonia to the stage? Boo, Sonia. Oh yes, here she comes now. You dressed for the weather. I love it. It's good. I'm over here like, this is a sweater, but not really. There's too many holes in it. Uh, <laughs> keep it going for Sonia, everybody. Thank you. So like Ben, I also went to camp. Uh, it was different. I was 10. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was drama camp. <laughs> I got to do what I felt like were the most amazing things. I got to do stage combat and improv. And the whole culmination for me was being part of the musical production of The Lion King. And there were so many of us kids that we each just got like parts of parts. So I got one line in one of the songs. So I got to sing uh, you'll be a mighty king, uh, enemies beware. And when I got on stage during the culmination of the camp, I felt like the mightiest king singing that. I uh, felt like Jonathan Taylor Thomas in the animated version of The Lion King. I was pretty sure I sounded better than he did. And it was, it was a wonderful moment for me. Fast forward five years and I was entering my freshman year in high school and 
I was really excited about drama still, but our town wasn't. In fact, they had cut the drama program. So I decided to go out for choir. And my mom was really involved in music, so I tried out for the choir with her there in the audition, which looking back now sounds so strange. And uh, probably under duress, the choir director let me in to elite choir. And on the first day of my freshman year, they, the senior students in the class had everyone come back to sing just to make sure we really were elite. And it turns out I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> which is a terrible thing to find out your freshman year, the first day of high school. And I pretty much gave up singing after that, uh, mumbled the words in the car, on the radio. I would avoid karaoke at all costs. I, prior to this, I loved singing and I was the first person in my teenage years to jump on a trampoline and sing passionately to any Moulin Rouge song. <laughs> and uh, fast forward a few more years, um, several more in fact, fast forward a few more, and it was a pandemic. I'd, I'd gotten into improv and not being able to do that in person, I started doing it online. And I saw this class for musical improv, which sounded terrifying. And something that was written there kind of struck me and said, it doesn't matter how you sound or how clever you are, or how good of a singer you are, it just matters showing up. And so I went to this class and did these exercises every day and we sang and we made up songs on the spot which sounds hard but it was somehow easier in the moment and at the end of this I got up for our final performance it was all virtual and uh, I sang this made up song with my improv partner who was thousands of miles away and I felt once again like the mightiest king. <laughs> Thanks so much y'all. <laughs> Keep it going for Sonia, everybody. Yes, and make sure if you've done the slam, head over to our slam booth. I came up and I didn't bring my bucket again. Round of applause for her lovely bucket bird. Okay. All right. All righty, our next slammer coming to the stage. Can I get Greg? I'm sorry, I can't read your cursive writing last name. Stall, oh, Stossum. Greg, Greg, I've seen Greg before. Come on, Greg. Make a lot of noise for Greg, everybody. All right, thank you so much to tonight's presenters. I think we've seen such a great example of vulnerability and gosh, I could only hope to be as funny. Um, um, Matthew, Matthew, uh, a tip of the hat to you. My story's got a little bit of a, a, a similarity to yours. 
Uh, years ago, when I first moved to Boise, it's more than 10 years ago, I moved to Boise, one of Boise's most interesting properties. It's downtown Boise on the Basque block. Uh, there are Basque folks in the crowd? Yeah. <laughs> of course, it's Boise. So uh, behind the old Cyrus Jacobs Uber Aga house, there's a, there's a carriage house uh, across from Bardenay. I rented that carriage house. So I was the sole occupant of about a, a sole block of downtown Boise. And uh, it was a really cool house. I learned more in a couple of years of living there than I could have ever imagined uh, about Basque culture and Basque way of life and Basque, Basque presence in, in Idaho. But uh, my wife or my girlfriend at the time uh, and I went away for a Memorial Day weekend, my now wife sitting up here on the hill. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> She, uh, uh, we went away for a three-day weekend, and I dropped her off at her house, and I left my cell phone there, and I went home. And, uh, and it was a, a cold, rainy spring evening, like we've had numerous uh, of the spring. And um, um, I woke up at three-ish in the morning to shouting inside my house. You guys can imagine the chill that would go up your spine to hearing when you're, you live alone and you hear shouting inside your house. And, uh, and I sat up and I thought, I'm not hearing this. And then I heard it again. And then I heard the door to the stairs open. And I lived on the second floor of a two-story building. And I heard steps coming up this, um, or I saw, heard footsteps coming up and the soft in and out hush of breaths. And so, there was a wolf in the lion's den, or however, whatever, how do I fit that into tonight's theme? Is that, is this, this is my moment to do that, right? <laughs> but I was scared, uh, as you might imagine. And, uh, but, but instinct took over, and, uh, and I had a guttural push of emotion, and I sprang from the bed, and I ran to the top of the steps, and I peered in. To enough to surmise that the person who was coming up those stairs wasn't armed, and I jumped into the stairs and shouted with everything I had, and I forced that person down. I backed him, it was a him, I backed him down the stairs into what was the kitchen, out into the front entryway, out through the front door. I flipped the, the lock on the front door, and it was he and I out in the rain, door locked, me buck naked <laughs> with the total stranger who had just broken into my house. And here's where it gets weird. This guy, I, I, I had been eye to eye enough with him at this, at this time to, to smell his breath. He had a lot of whiskey on him or something like that. And, uh, and clearly maybe a, a few other things. So I wasn't totally threatened by him anymore. Um, but we were outside together and I wasn't gonna go fish out my Heideke and go back inside and be like, have at it. <laughs> so we started shooting the shit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he wanted to play army games. He wanted me to cover him while he ran through the rain to the next corner of the next building. <laughs> and he goes, all right, cover me. And so I stood like that <laughs> and he ran to the corner of the building. 
And then he's crouched and he goes, go, go, go. <laughs> so I ran over next to him. <laughs> and I sat next to him. At that point, we were underneath the covered front porch of the uh, Cyrus Jacobs house. You guys understand that that house that's in, across from Bardenay? It's got a nice covered porch. And there's, there are wood benches around the outside. It's three in the morning on Memorial, on the Memorial Day Monday. There's nobody in downtown. My cell phone's at my girlfriend's house. And uh, so he and I sat on a bench and had a little heart to heart. Uh, he was, I, I don't need, probably don't need to go into details. He was not a very happy person. and. Uh, um, and the story, I mean, I, I suppose to fast forward, he, he, did, he ended up going to jail that night. Uh, Vera, uh, and not to belabor the point, <laughs> it, was, it was a surreal evening. Um, that has become chapter three of a novel that I have written, uh, uh, a mystery that's set in Boise and downtown, uh, downtown Boise in Southwest Idaho. It's, thank you, thank you very much. It's a six-year-long project. It's called Deception at the Diamond D Ranch. Uh, you can get it at Rediscovered downtown. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, and it's obviously been highly fictionalized, but the emotional core of what I just relayed to you uh, th th remains. But uh, yeah, a, uh, a, a lion and the wolf's den, or the wolf and the lion's den, or however you fit it in tonight. Thank you. Keep it going for Greg, and make sure to stick around and check out his next novel, Stripping with Strangers. Um, very excited to see that come out. I'm very excited. All right, we ready for a few more slammers? Hey, eh? oh, very excited. Thank you, thank you. All righty, can I get Thane to the stage? Thane? Yes, right off in front. I love it. Perfect. Keep him. Keep it going for him. A little short. All right, so my story begins in the Virgin Islands. I lived there for a winter, it was six months, and I would never re recommend this to anybody. <laughs> uh, it's the highest crime rate in the United States is there, um, and that's how my story begins. It was my uh, birthday. Uh, I turned 27 years old and I got really excited. I was going to leave the country for the first time in my life. I went to the British Virgin Islands. Ooh. <laughs> um, so we got all of our passports ready, uh, had four other roommates at the time, and we get everything ready in the house, and there's one roommate that has to work that day, so he doesn't get to go. Um, leave him behind, we get on the boat, ferry across, because we figured that was the best way to get us all across, and instead of flying. Um, get all of our all of our things, and we don't really know what it's going to be like uh, through the port of entry, and turns out it's very relaxed, you just kind of waltz through, and no one checks passports, no one does anything, but just says, oh yeah, here you go. Uh, very lax laws there. Uh, go to the, the, the British Virgin Islands, see the baths. I would recommend that. That's a beautiful spot. Uh, 
It's on Virgin Gorda. And it's one of the oldest sites in the world for uh, humans to take baths. It's wonderful. Uh, through this whole adventure, I've had this feeling of like, hmm, something's going to go wrong, but I don't know what it is. And, you know, I'm traveling, uh, you know, drugs are rampant every, every, everywhere over there. I mean, you can buy cocaine at the gas station if you really want to. <laughs> and uh, drug dealers in the streets constantly. Um, I've heard stories of people getting pulled over by the police and being forced to buy drugs. Uh, very, very interesting, corrupt government they have there. Uh, so we get back, it's my birthday party, um, and we notice, the first thing I notice when I walk into my house is the oven, the, uh, the, the bottom drawer where all the pans go is open. And I'm like, that's, no one cooks. Like the guy that was here was not cooking. And uh, so I'm like, close the drawer and like, this is kind of interesting. So ask him, you know, what, what was the drawer open for? Like, were you looking for some like pots? Like, it didn't make any sense at all. He was like, oh, I thought you guys did that before you left. Like, oh, that's interesting. And start to realize that the house isn't how we left it. And he thought we moved things and it turned out we got robbed. <laughs> uh, lost, I don't even know, three or $4,000 worth of electronics. Uh, they stole uh, a passport that one of the roommates had left, took her uh, driver's license as well, and ended up being a really interesting birthday. <laughs> uh, So we have a couple suspects because it's a small island. It's 30 miles. Literally, everyone knows everyone on the whole island. So we start going down and uh, being like, do you think it's this guy at work? Do you think it's this guy at work? Or who do you think stole this stuff? So we turned into investigators that night and we drive to you know all these people that we suspected. We had two for sure. So we were like, it's gotta be these guys go to the first house and they're like, all right, send them a text message. See what, see if, see if they're home. Like they're home. Like, hey, what are you guys been doing? Like, nothing. We've just been hanging out, playing games all night. Like, all right, probably wasn't these guys. So, so we move on to the next suspect and we're like, all right, this guy works in the kitchen. He's pretty sketchy. <laughs> and, uh, so we're walking up and, um, got some Highlanders with us, and he's telling us, you know, this is a violation, man. You're not supposed to steal from friends. And we're like, well, you know, you know you're not supposed to do this. So we walk into his front door, and uh, we get a phone call, and it's the other roommate, um, the girl that had her passport stolen. She's like, you guys are dumb. I called the police, and the police are here, and they're going to do the investigation. We're like, all right, you know, this probably isn't a good idea to just go, like, confront random people and through the night and so we end up going back and talking to the police and they take down a list of electronics which turned out to be really helpful in the insurance claim <laughs> so thank you for you know lemon for being more intelligent <laughs> and that's my story
And give it up for Thane, everybody. All righty, how are we feeling? Are we, are we good to do one more slammer tonight? One more? Yeah. Let's do it, let's do it. I, I, you know, if you're, you're already shaking, it's not that cool, let's go. All righty, and can I get our final slammer to the stage? Can I get Leslie Bing to the stage? Do -do. Oh, look, haha, -ha. the lights are on me again, guys, full circle. Uh, I'm so excited, that's good stuff. Oh, yeah, all right, please make a lot of noise for Leslie Bing. So I'm so sorry that this is how you're ending your evening. <laughs> so let me set the scene. It's 1988 or 1989. My sisters and I are both homeschooled by our mother. Our brother goes to Fairmont Junior High. He's 14 or 15. Where you have cats. We are not cat people. Cats kept finding us. One followed our mailman for every day for like three months till finally he was like, will you take this cat? So we did. She found a male cat. We had kittens. Again, we are not cat people. It's important to remember this. So I don't know the year, I know the date. It was October 21st because it was my sister's 12th or 13th birthday. We're making a cake. My mom is doing laundry. It's just a normal day. So my mom is getting clothes from the washer and putting them into the dryer. Normal, right? Okay. There's jeans in the dryer, so it's loud. So the dryer starts and it's, it's, it's noisy, but we don't think anything of it until the house starts to smell. <laughs> so it isn't big and hairy, but it was long and hairy. <laughs> it got stretched out in the dryer. So what had happened is as my mom turned her head to get clothes out of the washer, our cat jumped into the dryer one of the kitten, my sister's kitten, it was her birthday and it was her kitten. That she, poor Jiffy. And so my mom is a wreck when she realizes what has happened. And she has just recently had foot surgery. So she has to go to the doctor for her foot surgery. She make, makes a mess of the cake, trying to make the cake when she figures out that she's just killed her daughter's kitten. So she's covered in cake mix. She drops me and my one sister off at a friend's house and then goes to the doctor. She can't get through her appointment because she's sobbing. I killed my daughter cat and it's her birthday. <laughs> so what do we do? We have no, we don't know what to do, how to rectify this situation. So remember my brother goes to Fairmont and he's 14 or 15 years old. So we left him a note. <laughs> Please take care of the cat in the dryer. <laughs> and he did. He's such a good brother. <laughs> I think he's probably the most traumatized by this story than the rest of us. Um, but we did. We had a little funeral for the cat in our backyard. And I think this is one of the most profound things I've ever written. I made a little tombstone for the cat and said, God lives but cats die. That's it, thank you very much.
Keep it going for Leslie Bing, everybody. Leslie Bing. <laughs> Don't let her pet sit for you. Um, man, I know you're supposed to clean out the dryer anyways, but that feels like that's going to be a messier project. <laughs> How was your night? Did you guys have a great night? Thank you guys so much for being here. We are so we're we're so honored to have you here. Um, just a few things before we take off. If you did do a story, please go over uh, to the story booth and sign a release form so that way we can put your story on the wonderful podcast that we do. Um, that being said, we would like to talk about not stories don't just come from people, but they come from land. And though we are in a place that used to be held for incarceration. I would like to uh, acknowledge that we are on Shoshone Bannock territory, uh, and thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's a blessing to be here, but also we know how much things are things. All right, um, sorry, <laughs> it's very cold. Uh, I just want to say a few thank yous. Story Story Night is supported by public funding uh, for the arts through Idaho Commissions of the Arts and Idaho Legislature. Um, and the National Endowments of the Arts, so please give a round for them. Uh, this would not be possible without them. Uh, just a reminder to listen to our podcast. You can find that anywhere you stream, so iTunes, Stitch, uh, SoundCloud, or you can go to storystorynight.org and find all of our stuff on there. Uh, they also have a stray theater, which you can hear the Sunday before our live shows, 5.30 to 6.30 on the radio, so make sure you listen to that. Uh, last season, the reboot, and it's all on our YouTube channel as well. So check that out. And then a big thank you to everyone who made this possible. Uh, give it a round of applause for everyone who made this possible tonight. But special thanks to our crew and technical director, uh, podcast engineer, Stephen Baldessari. We couldn't do this without him. Big thank you to our musical guest, Louis C. Thank you, thank you. Yes, sorry, you're hiding behind the light. A uh, big thank you to our photographer, Greg Mitza. Um, Thank you so much, I hope you, this was my good side. I don't know if you got it. <laughs> I apologize. And thank you to our volunteers and our volunteer coordinator, uh, Natalie DiGiosia. Sorry, I probably slaughtered that a little bit. I'm so sorry. A big thank you to our board of directors and a big thank you to our story subscribers. Thank you to our late night director, Beth Norton, everybody. Beth Norton. And a big thank you to our producing artistic director, Jody. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. Thank you, Jody. Thank you to the old penitentiary for hosting us. And make sure you guys continue to following us. Uh, tickets are on sale now for Good Witch, Bad Witch. And come back and see the rest of the Wizard of Oz stories. And have a great night. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Our theme song was composed by Ned Evett. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Please rate and review this podcast to help other story lovers find us. Thanks to guest host Haley Lenhart Weiss and musical guest Louis C. Support this podcast by texting StoryPod to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at www.storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.